Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour. This is Yogacharya O'Brien. I'm delighted to be with you today, exploring yoga in its depth and breadth, uh, path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. We really look at how we can apply these spiritual principles in all areas of life, including the great challenges that we face um, on our earth today. And that is one of the questions that we are privileged um, to be looking at today, the question of, you know, how can people of faith, how can um, spiritual people um, address the problems of global climate change? And so our talk today is climate change, yoga, and the role of faith communities. And uh, together we can how faith communities are facing climate change. And I'm so delighted to uh, be welcoming back to the Yoga Hour after several years, Dr. Kasumita Peterson, who is Professor Emerita of Religious Studies at St. Francis College and Chair of the Interfaith Center of New York. Dr. Peterson is on the Advisory Board, Yale Forum on Religion and Ecology, and is a member of the Climate Action Task Force of the Parliament of the World's Religions, and of the Climate Working Group of the Committee of Religious NGOs at the United Nations. She's co-author of the most beautiful book that has just been released, um, that is Faith for Earth, A Call to Action. It's been published as a partnership by the Parliament of the World's Religions and the United Nations Environment Program. And she is, of course, our, our connection in, in the world of yoga, the life of disciples. She is a disciple of Sri Chinmoy and has been since 1971. Uh, you can learn more about the new book that we're drawing from today in our conversation. And um, I encourage you to because it's such a wonderful resource. Um, you can learn more about it at the Parliament of the World's Religions website, which is parliamentofreligions.org, and then click on the blog and then Faith for Earth. Welcome, Dr. Peterson. I'm so delighted to be with you on today's Yoga Hour. Um, Uma, it's just uh, wonderful um, and a joy to be with you again here at the Yoga Hour. Thanks so much. Before we dive into this this big and heartfelt and timely conversation about climate change, yoga, and the role of our spiritual communities in that, let's just take a moment to to breathe and to appreciate this moment. Oh. 
beautiful it is to be able to take a moment to simply be present and to breathe and be aware of our breath. Such a basic tool for yogis, for meditators, and so connected to the topic that we turn to today with awareness of this divine, sacred environment in which we live, the breath that we breathe. And so feel your breath now. And with that feeling of the breath, make the connection to all of life, to all beings that breathe, the earth itself that breathes. And in the yoga tradition, we think of God itself as breath. So feel your breath. Feel your connection to everyone, to everything, consciously in this moment, breathing, inhaling, exhaling. Cool air entering the nostrils, warm air flowing out. And in this centering moment, let us contemplate some words of Paramahansa Yogananda. By placing us in families, God affords us an opportunity to overcome selfishness and to find it easier to think of others. In friendships, God offers us a way to broaden further our sympathies. Even that is not the end. We should continue to expand our love until it becomes divine, encompassing all beings everywhere. Otherwise, how may we achieve oneness with God, the source of all? So let us expand our awareness in this moment to include all life, all beings, our planet, the universe, and to feel that beautiful divine connection of which we are all a part. May we be inspired this day to live in graceful ways upon our earth, inspired ways upon our earth, beautiful ways upon our earth. Om, peace, peace, peace. Thank you for sharing that centering moment with me. And I'm, as I mentioned, I'm so delighted to be back in conversation with Kusumita, um, who is a friend of many years who has been uh, engaged in interfaith work and really um, has turned her attention uh, to this climate crisis that we face. And so, Kusumita, could you start by letting us know how your spiritual journey, you've been a disciple of Sri Chinmoy for decades, and so how, 
how your spiritual journey and service in the world as a professor uh, and interfaith leader has led you to focus very clearly on climate change at this time. Well, thank you so much, Uma. And the answer is really, it's never been any other way. And um, uh, Father Thomas Berry um, is very well known among uh, many people who uh, is a great visionary um, on the, the, the whole topic of the world's faith traditions and how they relate to the earth. And one of his sayings is, a child awakens in the universe. And as soon as I was conscious, I was, you know, as a small child, I was aware that I was in the beauty of nature. And um, and I think all human beings, unless they're unfortunately in a situation where they're away from nature, where, you know, we speak today of a nature deficit, um, if we're in nature, we know that we are uh, children of earth and that the um, uh, natural world is is um is how to say this the beauty of the natural world the, the, and the, the the nourishment of the natural world that we are one with that and i was raised in new england and um uh not in the city although i was born in new york and i was i the town that i was raised in had unspoiled woods and meadows and some uh, creeks and ponds and i was allowed to roam and it it formed me for my whole life. Um, and even more, if I may put it that way, we spent the summer in one of the most beautiful places in the world, which is Mount Desert Island on the coast of Maine. And uh, that's where Acadia National Park is. And there are in, in astounding places on the west coast of the United States, but to the listeners, if you're ever on the east coast in the northeast it's worth a visit to to acadia national park where the mountains come right down to the ocean and there are lakes and forests and uh so uh my my mother's parents house was right on the ocean and just one more thing is also from the um as long as i can remember I wanted to be in communion with other forms of life, with with animals or with trees, and you know, and and uh, not just with human beings. Um, Thomas Berry also speaks about that the um, need for communion with other species. Mm-hmm. So, um, just one more thing, you know, when people ask what is meditation, often one of the answers that people give, and maybe Uma, you give it as well is, well, when you're in the midst of nature and you experience the beauty of nature and the peace and vastness of nature, that is a meditation. <laughs> so we're con- we're constituted that way. There wasn't a special event. Um, but, of course, going forward in time, um, in, this, in the 70s and 80s, we began to be aware that uh, human beings were harming the natural world. And um, so it's gone on from there. I think that, you know, of course, our listeners are um, fortunately all over the world. And, um, 
you know, many of us can relate to your story of having some experience, you know, in nature as a child, whether you were a city dweller and you went to camp and you got to be in the wilderness or, or, or something happened where you had that opening. And I really appreciate that connection to meditation because, yes, I do use that example. You know, when people ask oh. about it, what is it? I say, well, remember that moment when you were walking on the beach and your mind became quiet. And um, so that is one way, of course, that we help people see how, how yoga is that, that union, you know, that moment of, of oneness. Um, what do you see as the relationship of yoga to climate emergency and climate action? You know, what, what is the role that you see that, you know, spiritual practitioners of yoga um, can play at this time? Well, um, there's a whole movement called um, Green Yoga um, today, which is um, actually started in California. And um, the United Nations has adopted the observance of the International Day of Yoga as one of its many special days. And um, in June 2019, about a year and a half ago, uh, there was a panel discussion at the UN. Um, this has started to happen annually and also on the north lawn of the UN since in June people do yoga and on this day. In the panel discussion um, uh, in June uh, 2019, I was one of the speakers and there were five of us. And everyone said, um, uh, and the theme was yoga and climate action. And we all spoke in, a, in somewhat different ways, but we all made certain um, common points, which we had not planned. They just uh, converged. And the first uh, thing that everyone agreed on was one of the basic norms of yoga is nonviolence. And it's not just nonviolence to other human beings, but it's nonviolence towards all life. And um, and since climate uh, disruption is extremely harm, harmful to uh, human societies, but also to ecosystems and different forms of life, it's causing extinctions. Um, this is the, the first sort of foundation value that determines that if you are on the path of yoga, you must be concerned about climate change. And um, so, so um, the second is uh, 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 the second yama is uh, truth or satya, and of course that means we can't turn away from the truth. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't be climate deniers, you know. But if we, yeah, but that's if, a good if, point. If, Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if, if climate change is being denied, and and you, and the U.S. is one of the few places where that's still acceptable, um, we have to fight against uh, a falsehood and mm -hmm. defend the truth, and um, and also promote the truth. Mm -hmm. And 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 so those are are two of the most um, you know sort of. Uh, compelling reasons in the ethics of yoga and the philosophy of yoga. And these, of course, are very, very ancient norms. There's nothing new. And what you said about um, connecting to all beings is also in all the yoga traditions of India, and it's extremely ancient. Mm -hmm. And I, I also look at when we look at the yamas, um, I think one that really stands out for me with regard to um, the client emergency, uh, climate emergency is... Um, non-stealing, 
um, because this goes right to the problem of greed, you know, that fosters so much of um, the behaviors that are not useful for um, health on our planet. And also the idea of stealing resources, you know, from indigenous peoples or, or from our, you know, from our children and grandchildren. So um, I think if we can really look at all of the yamas and see a relationship um, in terms of guiding our behavior, you know, as yogis, one of the um, obstacles that I see uh, I've seen it in myself, in my own community, um, and of course in in the global population at large, which is our human capacity for denial. So even though we can see the effects of climate change, um, it seems either to be too great a problem for an individual to impact it or too far in the future, you know, to rise to the top of our pressing concerns, which is particularly true right now, you know, as we're in the midst of a global pandemic and societal unrest and, and political instability in the U.S., um, you know, how do we keep climate change and, you know, climate change action in the forefront of, you know, what we do? So I'm, I'm sure this is not a new question for you um, as you're engaged in this field. You know, it just seems like people say, oh, yeah, it's important, but this is more important or that is more important. So, you know, how do we break through that, Kusumita? Um well, I, it is a really um, a, a kind of a subtle or complex issue because human beings do tend to focus on just their own well-being and not on um, the common good. And, um, and the common good doesn't mean a kind of average good like 51% of people are okay, but the common good means... Each and every person and each and every being, if you like, you know, um, the well-being of all is is the common good, and that is. Um, and and Sri Krishna speaks about it in the Bhagavad Gita when he says we must act for loka samgraha, the maintenance of the world, the well-being of the world. So it's in the ancient ethics of yoga that we are acting for, according to Dharma, for the benefit of the entire world and all beings. But, of course, the problem of ignorance is the problem of ego, which is the little self, the small self. So it's partly about expanding our consciousness and our love and our love and our awareness. You, you can't love others without being aware of them and knowing what they're going through and what issues are, what, you know, what's a, what circumstances, conditions are affecting them. So, so in other words, the practice of yoga and spirituality isn't just of uh, for my my own individual uh, well-being and i don't know if this is helping um but learning more about the world and what's going on in the world is work um it's a kind of work to be well informed to understand the issues one of the things that i would i would always recommend is find a friend who knows more than yourself and just like have a conversation you know and um you know go step go step by step and uh, yeah and 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 if we belong to a community then we in the community itself need to go step by step and also i think we need to recognize that we may already be doing things that are um very good to do for example uh, vegetarianism is so much a part of yoga 
And mm. I just watched um, for the first time, I'm going to watch it again, the new film by Sir David Attenborough, who is uh, world famous for his documentaries about life on Earth and planet Earth. And it's his witness statement where he uses the lens of his own extraordinary life to say what's happened to the Earth since he was born in 1937, and he's 93 now. And he ends at the very end of that last half hour is very constructive and hopeful. And he all and he talks about what we should eat, you know. Mm-hmm. And, yes. And he's Thank not the for- only one. Everyone who's serious about climate change says we have to look at our food systems, how we raise our food, and what we all eat, and to eat lower on the food chain. Mm, yeah, I thank you so much for the recommendation for that. And um, you know, it's it's streaming. You can you can get it online. And I watched it the other night, and it is a beautiful film. And um, it's difficult, of course, to look at um, you know the impact of extinction of species on the earth. But it is very educational, very informative. And then, as you say, it wraps up being, you know, very hopeful. And um, thank you for those uh, insights about uh, yoga and practicing yoga and how we can make the connections to take some steps and know, um, you know, what we're doing with climate change. And um, as you were speaking about, you know, expanding our consciousness, you know, to understand, you know, it's like the quote from Yogananda, what, what our family actually is, is our family is the whole earth. And I was thinking of um, Yogananda's guru, Sri Yukteswar, who said, self-realization is not selfish realization. And uh, so, you know, we sort of begin there as as yogis, and um, and I like your um, your your advice to connect with a friend because I know it's been very useful for me, you know, to reconnect with you and to be having conversations about this because you just naturally then start thinking about, well, what can I do? What am I doing? Which is a really good, hopeful place to start. And then what can I do? What is the next step um, that that I can do? You know, we have a big project at our center in California, um, which is a a dream that we have begun, you know, step by step, um, which is replacing the monoculture of grass that that surrounds the property. You know, we have an acre of property in the city. It's a beautiful ashram. But uh, years ago, you know, it was planted with grass, uh, which is a, you know, it's a monoculture and it takes, uh, you know, an, an, an unuseful amount of water to maintain a lawn, you know. And so we have been moving uh, towards removing that landscaping and planting um, natural um, plants, native plants. So there, there are things like that that we're doing as a community that we feel hopeful about. Um, we're about to go to a break in, in just a few minutes, but um, before we do, I, I'd like to ask you to tell us about this book, which I'm holding a copy of, and it's just beautiful, uh, Faith for Earth, A Call to Action. So just tell us a little bit about that, and we can come back to it after the break, too. Sure. Well, quite briefly, the UN Environment Program has really been um, uh, in the forefront of realizing that the um, world's faith communities have a lot to contribute to uh, engaging the environmental crisis. And and there was something in the 90s called the Interfaith Partnership for the Environment in New York at UN Environment Program. 
And uh, working with UNEP, uh, and I was involved, we published a book called Earth and Faith, a book of reflection for action. And it was an enduring popular success, and you can still uh, get a a PDF or a a copy for a few dollars on Amazon. But um, coming uh, uh, up to the present in um, 2017, UNEP launched the Faith for Earth initiative. And I really urge listeners who are interested to go to unep.org and search faith and find out the incredible initiative that they have started. Um, And the director is uh, Dr. Iyad Abu Mowgli. He's from Jordan. And the Climate Action Program of the Parliament of the World's Religions asked him, would you like to republish uh, Earth and Faith that came out in 2000? And he said, yes, I was already thinking of doing so. Because obviously in 20 years there's a lot of need for updating on the science and other things. So um, we, uh, you know, started working on that and the book just came out a month ago. And it is it is beautiful. I highly recommend it. And it is very updated um, on into the pandemic that we find ourselves in today. And you can find out more about the book and even download it as a PDF at parliamentofreligions.org. And then you click on blog and then faith uh, for earth. You're listening to the yoga hour with my guest today, Dr. Kusumita Peterson, member of the climate action task force of the parliament of the world's religions and of the climate working group of the committee of religious NGOs at the United Nations. She's co-author of the book. Um, she, uh, took charge of the faith section, which is absolutely beautiful and uh, takes a look at how each of the uh, many of the major faiths of the world look at our relationship with the earth and uh, our responsibility for it and our inspiration for that. Um, So we'll be back with you in a few minutes and we can talk more about Um, faith communities and what our responsibility is uh, during this time of global climate challenge. We'll be right back. (laughs) Okay, I just learned I have another minute. So um, one of the things that I want to say about this book that we're drawing from about faith communities is that it has some amazingly powerful statistics about the numbers uh, with regard to our faith communities. You know, how many, um, how much land faith communities own, um, how, how many people are involved in faith communities. And um, we get a real sense of the power that we have as we bring our energy together in our particular spiritual communities. Okay, now it looks like we're ready to go to the break and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 
thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back to The Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien. I'm here today with Dr. Kasumita Peterson, Professor Emerita of Religious Studies at St. Francis College and Chair of the Interfaith Center of New York. Dr. Peterson is on the advisory board, Yale Forum on Religion and Ecology, and is a member of the Climate Action Task Force of the Parliament of the World's Religions. And she has co-authored this book that is newly released that we've been talking about, Faith for Earth, A Call to Action. And uh, the book has two sections, Earth and Faith, and um, you authored the section on faith, which is just beautiful. It, you know, lets us take a look at, you know, really this is um, for all of us on whatever our religion, our spiritual path, uh, the directives are there. You know, I, I remember um, the, the beautiful opportunity I had to um, be with His Holiness the Dalai Lama at um, the Parliament uh, of the World's Religions in Melbourne. And we got to ask him questions. And I was asking about compassion, you know, how, how do we, how do we up our compassion quotient? You know, how do we become more compassionate Uh people? And he had several answers to that question, but one that really had stuck, you know, shocked me because he was talking to faith leaders and religious leaders when he said it. And he said, um, you have to take your, uh, religion and your spiritual path more seriously. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, is, you know, it was such a beautiful response. And so, you know, I feel that's what this book does. It's like a reminder that, look, you know, it's not, there isn't anything new um, that our traditions need to tell us. We just need to, ha- you know, find the will um, to follow. You know, my my guru, uh, Roy Jean Davis, um, used to say, you know, do what you know you should do. And so it isn't... Um, so much, you know, reinventing anything, but those of us who study, you know, have to search our hearts and say, you know, how do I put into practice, um, what I know? So, um, how do you see, you know, this book, um, being used today to support people in their response, um, for climate action? Well, thank you so much, Uma. The first thing I'd like to say is the PDF is free. <laughs> so in a sense, the whole book is uh, free. You don't have to buy a hard copy of the book. And um, so if you have a discussion group, you have a class, you have a congregation, you can have um, as many copies of the book as you want that are in a PDF form. Of course, if you really want to, you can print out the PDF, but you don't have to. We did print hard copies, and the best way to get them, although we don't have the mechanisms quite in place, is to contact the Parliament of the World's Religions. But the PDF is free, um, so people all over the world can use the book freely. And um, so the next thing I want to say is that this book is an introduction. Um, It's an introduction to the critical issues of the environment 
and the chair of climate action at the Parliament of the World Religions, David Hales, authored. He actually wrote that section. He's a leading American conservationist and a diplomat um, and um, was uh, president of the College of the Atlantic in Bar Harbor, Maine recently and held many other offices at the UN and for the US government. And he wrote this section um, and uh, updated everything. But I uh, not so much wrote as edited and compiled the part on faith because, you know, if the crucial thing is passages from the Veda or or from the Bible, um, you know, I didn't write those parts, of course. Mm -hmm. But research has been going on since the 1970s. Um, when the environmental crisis, you know, became more and more apparent to us, people in religious communities began to re-examine their their primary sources. What does this say to us about this? And by now we know very well which are the key passages in the scriptures. So they are there in the book for mm-hmm. reference or and for inspiration. You just want to be inspired, you can just turn to whichever section it is. So, for example, in Christianity, we have opening pas- the opening passages of Genesis, and there's a, a little gloss that says, here's what you should notice here in the first two, three chapters of Genesis. Um, passages, uh, for other passages from the Hebrew Bible, the Psalms, but of course we also have the canticle of a brother's son from St. Francis of Assisi. And we do have contemporary sources which weren't in the book uh, 20 years ago, um, and um, one of the things that um, uh, we must mention is the encyclical Laudato Si of Pope Francis, which um, uh, was promulgated as Catholic say, um five years ago. And Laudato Si means be praised, and it's a direct reference to the canticle of the son of, of St. Francis of Assisi. So we have... Um, some contemporary declarations by um, the religious communities and institutions. And we also have some um, sidebars on engaged projects that different communities are doing, like the sick um, community worldwide has been planting a million trees to honor the 550th birthday of Guru Nanak. So mm-hmm. those are just, um, we've, we have a description of the Chipko movement, of uh, women in the Himalayas, uh, that's for was is for tree preservation, and uh, we could say so much more. Mm-hmm. And we have links and and uh, you know ways that you know uh, point you to go deeper to other sources. And so, tell us about the Assisi declarations that are an important part of this um, faith section. Well, thank you for asking. Um, and um, as I was saying. Beginning in the 70s, um, uh, religious communities started rereading their sources and formulating, uh, you know, what are our ethics uh, with regard to our environmental ethics. And, uh, and a landmark in this process was the 1986 meeting of the World Wildlife Fund, um, in the, which was held in Assisi. And an activist named Martin Palmer, um, who is a scholar of Chinese religion at that time, convinced the patron of the World Wildlife Fund, Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, 
to invite religious representatives to the 25th anniversary of WWF, as it's known. And uh, these uh, spiritual leaders, uh, there were five of them. So there was no, you know, we're always, you always have to, it, it's, it's hard to represent every religious tradition because there are dozens of, or hundreds of streams of the world's religions. So the five were Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and Hinduism. And they issued the uh, CC declarations, which are a landmark on, uh, in environmental ethics. The CC declarations, Buddhism and nature, Christianity and nature. And these have been supplemented uh, afterwards by the declarations from Jainism, um, from the Baha'i faith, and others. And all of this was carried forward by the Alliance on Religion and Conservation, which was formed after this 1986 meeting. So that's a historical you know, explanation, and you can easily get the, the ECC declarations online. This gives me a chance to recommend to everyone the incredible website of the Forum on Religion and Ecology at Yale University, which has um, these and dozens of other declarations, statements uh, on the world's religions with bibliographies, lots of embedded videos, anything you would need for teaching or for finding out more about, also about activist projects. So Forum on Religion and Ecology at Yale University that is a, like one-stop shopping for everything on religion and ecology, and um, uh, you know, not not possible to to really learn deeply unless you go there and are familiar with it. And the um, Parliament of the World's Religions is a partner with uh, FORE, as is the United Nations Environment Program, as is uh, the um, Department in Rome in the Vatican for that that that. Um, is promoting the integral ecology of Laudato Si. Mm. And, you know, I think it was so um, beautiful when that Laudato Si uh, was announced, how it really, uh, my experience of it was that it just moved the world. I mean, it it really was impactful. Um, And why do you think that was? Well, it was intended to be so. (laughs) <laughs> so in <laughs> this in the spring of 2014 some of us heard that the pope um was working on an encyclical on the environment but we didn't know when it was going to come out and uh, you you know everyone will remember that December 2015 was a a very very important moment uh for climate change because it was the Paris climate agreement and uh so the, the Pope and his uh, advisors knew very well that the Paris uh, meeting was coming up in December 2015, and so the encyclical was promulgated in May 2015, and it gave a huge push and impetus to what was actually an unprecedented mobilization of, of spiritual communities leading up to the Paris um, agreement, and I, I was um, I was in the People's Climate March in New York, where 400,000 people marched. I'll never forget it. But all over the world, in the year leading up to the Paris meeting, there was extraordinary, um, you know, act um, action, climate mobilization action, and people 
the the, the governments and um, scientists knew that this was happening. They knew that the faith communities were going to hold them accountable. Mm. Yes, this very heartening. And, you know, I think um, those who are, you know, concerned about uh, climate change uh, in the U.S., of course, were had a certain rejoicing of hearing um, our president-elect Biden say that we would rejoin the Paris Accord and um, yeah. and that that climate um, change uh, would come back to the agenda. So this was very important to those of us who are concerned about climate change and uh, a cause for um, a good breath <laughs> and feeling yeah. that there is going to be that moving forward. Um, one of the things that you know I remember bringing to my community from my work uh, with you and others at the Parliament of the World's Religions was the declaration that is called Towards a Global Ethic, which is a very impactful document. And um, and now there there's been a fifth uh, directive added to it. Um, so we have you know this respect for life, economic justice, truth and compassion, women's rights, and now a fifth directive. Can you tell us about that? Um, I'd be so happy to because um, I'm part of the Global Ethics Task Force of the Parliament, and I've been very involved in the creation of the Fifth Directive. And uh, the um, the Parliament of the World's Religions Organization uh, carries the momentum of the original Parliament of 1893 in Chicago, where Swami Vivekananda became the most uh, renowned participant. And the centenary of the 1893 Parliament was 1993, and um, thousands of people attended in Chicago. The closing session out of doors in Grant Park with His Holiness the Dalai Lama had 20,000 people. And one of the um, main events at that Parliament in 93 was the adoption of the declaration you just mentioned toward a global ethic. And uh, it's intended to affirm um, and there was a lot of scholarship and preparation leading up to it, and several hundred uh, religious leaders signed it, um, that the world's religions do have a certain moral values or ethics in common. And those are, and you can easily find all of this on the uh, Parliament website, of course. So flashing forward to um, 2016-17, the Parliament had a convening um, with over 8,000 people just about two years ago in Toronto. It started on November 1st, 2018. And as that came over the horizon, um, we asked, uh, it's the 25th anniversary of the global ethic. How should we observe that? And one of the things that we did was we asked scholars and philosophers of many traditions, what is needed, if anything, to, um, you know, enhance or, or, or expand the global ethic? And nobody suggested we change the existing document, but they said we could add something. There are four directives, but we need a fifth directive on um, our relation to Earth and the natural world. And we had a very thorough, deep consultation process 
And the fifth directive is still just one page, but it is the result of a very, uh, you know, meticulous consultation. So we we looked um, uh, at what the world's religions agree on uh, with regard to our relation to Earth and the natural world, and we synthesized it into a succinct statement, which which very um, intentionally was in the same style, you know, uh, mm-hmm. as as the uh, uh, the older you know the the previous four directives and then this was um approved by the board of the parliament and in the climate action assembly in toronto on november 4th 2 years ago we presented it you know formally um and re- read people of different faith traditions read out the different sections of the fifth directive and we had a very like joyful but solemn you know presentation of the document yeah. And, um, yeah. and it is included in in the book. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember coming back um, from my work at the Parliament with the um, global ethic document, and, and we read it in community like a litany, you know, and oh. uh, it, was, it was so powerful to do that. So I can imagine that this um, would have the same... Um, impact um you know and, and of course it, i like how it begins on a positive note uh, numberless men and women of all re- regions and religions strive to lead lives in a spirit of mutual harmony interdependence and respect for the earth its living beings and ecosystems nevertheless in most parts of the world pollution contaminates the soil air and water deforestation and over-reliance on fossil fuels contribute to climate change. Habitats are destroyed and species are fished or hunted to extinction. Overpopulation and unjust use of natural resources increase conflict and poverty among people and harm other forms of life. Too often, the poorest population, though they have the smallest impact, bear the brunt of the damage done to the planet's atmosphere, land, and oceans. And so um, (laughs) I like the first one especially that says in the religious spiritual and cultural traditions of humankind we find the directive you shall not be greedy or in positive terms i'm sorry that goes back to yoga directly yes it does to a parigraha um or in positive terms remember the good of all let us reflect anew on the consequences of this directive. We should help provide to the best of our ability for the needs and well-being of others, including today's and tomorrow's children. And then it goes on, of course, to talk about earth and the resources, um, and then on to the responsibility that we have um, and uh, the inclusion of young people being encouraged uh, and, and education about what a good life is, <laughs> that it is not a life of outsized um, consumption or amassing of material possessions, which, of course, you know, so, so often our education uh, sends young people in that direction. And then uh, it concludes with what it is, you know, to be authentically human um, in relationship with one another in the uh, global uh, environment. So it's quite beautiful and instructive and motivating. And I I really want to thank you um, for that, for that work um, that you have done. Um, In, in our time that we have together here, 
Yeah, I want to ask you a kind of my wild card question of the day is that, you know, you've been doing this work um, for a long time and um, in such a dedicated way. And I want to know, has has there been anything that has um, surprised you along along this journey? Um, it, it, it's, it's a hard, <laughs> it's a hard question to, to answer. Um, I, um, I don't know. I think what surprises me, um, is, uh, up until recently, um, has been the lack of attention to these issues, um, because, um you know in in the 1980s um we would uh you know in the 70s and 80s there'd be resistance to talk of the environment because um and the natural world because people would say well we we have other issues we have to be concerned about we're concerned about poverty human rights women race issues and so forth and we don't have time for <laughs> another issue which That's just right. involves which just involves non human beings who are sort of out there somewhere, and which actually led to some people saying we shouldn't use the word in environment because it separates us from nature uh, you know the, that it's like uh, it's out there somewhere, and we don't realize that we are that you know yeah, we, we don't exactly exist so without it's, air it's like water. what we what we live in um rather than what we are you know that that we are in so, that inescapable yeah, we, mutuality as dr king would say right and and that quotation of his uh, about the net of 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 interconnected mutuality is so like it's become very like like uh people hold it up now but um but now uh, the impact of the pope's encyclical is is partly because he weaves it weaves together in an extremely uh, compelling way and it's not that hard to read um so i commend it to everyone um although it's not short it's also not hard to read the cry of the earth and the cry of the poor both together that social justice and the, our relations with Earth and the natural world, these are not two different things. So some people call it eco-justice. Um, but now we're realizing more and more the pandemic, uh, the COVID-19 emergency has now made it clear to us that um, if our relation with nature is broken, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to be gravely affected. Mm-hmm. And, and the effects of climate change are already upon us, uh, it, you know, um, all over the world. So with extreme weather events being especially visible. So so I'm encouraged that more and more people are now, now the, the figures about uh, concern about climate change in the United States are up like around 75%. Um, but you asked what surprises me, and what surprises me is that there would still be 25% of people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, let's, just in the last uh, minute or so that we have, I, I want to give you the last word of, you know, what um, what uh, encouragement or inspiration, besides what you've already covered today, would you like to leave with our listeners today? 
Well, I like to say what many people are saying, and it's very, very eloquent in, in Sir David Attenborough's film, which is on Netflix, but I've heard Al Gore speak many times. He says the same thing at the United Nations. Also, people will say this. We have what it takes. We have the technology. Um, we have um, the, the, the economies are lined up to move in the right direction. When we move to the global post-carbon economy past fossil fuels. It's not going to put zillions of people out of jobs. There'll be all kinds of wonderful new jobs. Our health will be better. Um, our, uh, we'll be able to, we'll have a much better chance of, of establishing harmony and peace uh, among countries and within societies. So we can go there. And uh, we can, um, the Pope says the same, so we just have to put, uh, we have to act together, not one religion or one group or one political party. We have to act together as children of earth and um, children of one source and, um, and do what's necessary for the community of all life. And we can Thank do you it. so much, Kasumita. It's, it's really been um, eye-opening and inspiring and challenging to be in this conversation with you. And, and I look forward to following up with it. And I want to thank all of our listeners um, to the Yoga Hour podcast. Um, we've been discussing the role of spiritual communities in the global climate crisis with Dr. Kusumita Peterson. Um, she's co-author of this book we have been pointing to, which she um, said you can get uh, online for free as a PDF, and I encourage you to do that. Um, you can do that at the parliamentofreligions.org. You'll find it there. And um, just a reminder that the Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. You can find out more about CSE at csecenter.org. Uh, Dr. Laura Trujillo is going to be continuing um, in my stead as host of the Yoga Hour going forward. And I'm so grateful for her uh, doing that. And I will be uh, delighted to be showing up frequently as her guest. Um, she's going to be with uh, Richard Freeman and Mary Taylor next week, talking about the wisdom of the Bhagavad Gita in a modern world. Thanks again for being with us today. Bye now. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.